from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Friends, let's, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that your Holy Spirit will make Jesus vivid to us and clear to us right now. Father, we ask that you would uh, take away uh, cloudy minds, clear our heads, open our hearts. We want to see Jesus um, as he presents himself in scripture clearly. Father, we ask that all our uh, false and mistaken notions about him would fall away. And Father, uh, that we would find in Jesus um, the great culmination of our own story and of the story of the whole universe. So will you make that plain to us now? We need your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, everyone. Well, hi. Um, we are continuing in our uh, series on, in the book of Ephesians. Uh, so if you would take a look at that third reading, we're really going to focus on one verse. Let me just read it to you. I'm actually going to uh, re start reading in, um, in verse 9. The Apostle Paul, writing to a group of churches around Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, uh, writes this. Paul is praising God as he starts his letter. And he says in verse 9, uh, God has made known to us the mystery of his will. A mystery in the Bible is something that was previously unknown and hidden, which has now been made clear and made available to us. God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And then here's the verse, verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Paul zooms out 
to look at the plan of God for all of the universe and for all of the history of humanity, it is as big a kind of wide angle picture as you can possibly have. And it's a picture and a vision that is crucial for us uh, right in the moment in which we're living. Uh, all over this year, um, uh, the leadership at Emmanuel and myself, we have uh, wrestled and questioned uh, in prayer and in conversation, how do we lead in 2020, right? Um, everybody's asking that question about their various jobs and roles. How, how do we do this in 2020? Um, how do you lead a group of people? How do you lead a church through a pandemic? Um, you know that it is scary. Uh, people lose their jobs. People lose their health. Uh, there is uncertainty all around us, which is very unnerving for us, for anyone, but particularly uh, America as a nation, we're used to being in control. And so when we are not in control, it is particularly disorienting to us. And so part of the question as a, as a leader of a church uh, is how do you cut through all the noise and uh, keep pointing people to the one who will never lead us, leave us or forsake us? How do we point people to Jesus? That's always the question. Uh, let me put it differently. Part of the question that I'm asking is how do we come out of 2020 or whatever this season ends up being, how do we come out of this more confident in Jesus and more faithful to his mission, and more joyful in his service. How do we do that? Now, the only way I know how to do that is, is to do what our ambition is always to do at Emmanuel. Our ambition is always to hold up Jesus as he presents himself in scripture. So earlier in the year, the pandemic hits, we want to hold up Jesus. And we want to say Jesus Christ defeated death. And therefore, if you belong to him, you have nothing to fear, even if the very worst happens. We want to hold up Jesus. A little bit later in the year, um, we're faced with the realities of uh, racial injustice and all the tension and pain that goes with that from our long history. What do we do? How do we respond to that? Well, the only thing we know how to do is to hold up Jesus to hold up Jesus who is a judge who is ferociously committed to justice and is also the one who can heal the deep wounds which afflict us and can bring unity in a way that no one else can. Uh, we wanna hold up Jesus all through this year so that as we go through the pain and the outrage and all that we're experiencing, that we can all run to Jesus Christ again and again and find hope and healing that we can never find anywhere else. That's our path. We wanna hold up Jesus. And that's what we wanna do now as we're heading towards this election. A little over a week, everybody knows that. And as we look at this part of 2020, um, the disunity, the fracture, the tension, sometimes the anger and the fear of the nation, it's scary isn't it? But once again, what we want to do is we want to look beyond the next couple weeks. We want to look beyond the election. We want to look six months down the road. We want to look five years down the, down the road, 20 years, even 100 years down the road. And we want to ask the question, how can Emmanuel be a church that shines like Jesus way beyond the pressures and the tensions of the present moment. 
And how can we avoid the myriad traps that are all around us in this present moment so that we can be poised for the long haul to please Jesus and to serve his people? How can we do that? Because whatever happens in this particular moment, in November, in all the rest of the things that are happening in our nation, whatever happens right now, Jesus wants us as a church to be ready to reflect him well in the midst of this divided and hurting nation, well beyond the pressures of this particular moment. So how do we do that? How do we set ourselves up for that? And again, we're really kind of a one trick pony here at Emmanuel. We only really know how to hold up Jesus and that's what we wanna do. Now I'm saying all this because as we come to Ephesians chapter one, verse 10, holding up Jesus in this particular moment means that we get to do something beautiful right now. It means that I get to tell you and remind you of a beautiful story and a remarkable plan. It's a plan of God that is way bigger than this election or than 2020. It's, it's, it's a plan that started way before there was anything called America. It's a plan that will be continued long after our nation is merely a memory. And I pray that God will make his plan, his big picture plan, very vivid to us. Because the only way to make it through this moment well is for us to live our brief lives in light of God's eternal plan. As we live our brief lives in light of God's eternal plan, that's how we can become a bright and shining light in the midst of this dark moment. So come with me to Ephesians, in particular, verse 10. Now, remember the context. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter from prison. He is in a moment that is every bit as full of tension and difficulty as ours and more. He's under house arrest in Rome. He's writing to a group of Christians in uh, a group of churches in uh, around Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey. He is chained to a Roman guard as he does it. And yet, despite all of his uh, all the crisis of his moment, despite his incarceration, Paul writes full of joy and hope. In fact, in verse three, we talked about this last week. He says that God has given every spiritual blessing to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then after verse three, he starts explaining what every blessing means. And in verse 10, Paul tells us that part of God's every blessing that he has given to those who are in Christ Jesus is this. He is confiding into in us a plan that was previously hidden. That's what the word mystery means. He's unveiling a mystery. Something was hidden and unknown, and now he has made it known. And the mystery that he has unveiled for us and confided in us is his big overarching plan for all of history. And the key to living on our moment is to live in light of that future. So look at verse 10. Paul says this, God's plan for the fullness of time and for all of history is this, to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Now that's the plan. What does it mean? Well, Start with the word unite. Uh, God wants to unite all things in Christ. Now, the word unite is a little bit of a hard word to translate. Uh, it comes from the, uh, from the world of public speaking in the ancient world. And it means something like this. To unite is to sum up a message in such a way that the main point becomes clear. 
For instance, uh, think about a story like, for instance, The Lord of the Rings. Hopefully most of us know the story reasonably well, and this won't be too much of a spoiler. If I wanted to sum up or unite the story of The Lord of the Rings, I might do it a little bit like this. I might say, for instance, uh, The Lord of the Rings is about uh, how Frodo and his friends uh, uh, destroy the ring and show how good overcomes evil through friendship and fidelity and service or something like that. Now you can, you can critique my uh, analysis of Tolkien later, but you see the point. It's a recap of the story so that the main point or the main theme comes clear. Now, keep that in your mind and bring it back to Paul. Because Paul's massive and bold and audacious claim is something like this. He says, when everything is finished and when human history is complete, we'll be able to sum up the whole of the story by saying something like this. Jesus Christ is the fearsome and magnificent and reconciling Lord of all. That is what the whole story was meant to show. In other words, Paul's saying that God's big aim in all of history is to hold up Jesus Christ and to show that he is the main point, that all roads ultimately lead to him. Even those who reject Jesus Christ will in the end, perhaps grudgingly, have to bow the knee to him and live under the judgment. And those who surrender their life to to him will spend all of eternity worshiping and glorying in him because of all of his grace and mercy. Now, let me try to explain this a little bit of a different way. Think about the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, And in particular, think about the storyline of ancient Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, That's why we have the first reading today. Um, If you look at the first reading, which is from Genesis, this is part of the beginning of Israel's origin story in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls somebody called Abram. Later on, he gets a different name, Abraham. And God says, Abram, listen, I'm making you a promise, a promise that you don't anticipate. I'm just going to preemptively give you a promise in verse, in chapter 12. And and God says, listen, here's the promise. I'm going to give you a family. That family is going to be called Israel. And uh, I'm going to bless Israel a whole bunch. And then through Israel, I'm going to bless every other nation in the world. It's a big promise. So it's exciting. The trouble is you begin to read the rest of the Old Testament and that story begins to apparently unravel again and again and again. It's a really bizarre story if you follow the the story of Israel through the Old Testament. For instance, and, and it doesn't look like that promise is going to play out. Do you remember uh, just a few weeks ago, we were in the book of Micah. Micah was written hundreds of years after Abram But Micah is still following the same storyline of Israel. The trouble is Israel is not being blessed by God. Rather, Israel is being judged by God because they have become hopelessly corrupt. And Israel is not a blessing to other nations. Israel's enemies with other nations around them, they're at each other's throat. They hate each other. It's a total mess. Not only in Micah, it's a total mess in a lot of the Old Testament. 
And so as the Old Testament unfolds, it's kind of like, well, maybe God's plan for Israel, maybe God's promise to Abram is just never going to be fulfilled. It, it looks like Israel's failure has undermined God's plan and, and everything's just falling apart. And even by the end of the Old Testament, the question is, maybe the Old Testament and the story of Israel is just an incoherent debacle. Maybe there's nothing that unifies it. Well, if you bring that back to the Apostle Paul and the rest of the New Testament, we find out that actually, unexpectedly, Israel is not the main point of the Old Testament. Israel's part of it, but not the center of it. If you look at the New Testament, the New Testament claims that Jesus is the unexpected but perfect main point of the Old Testament. In fact, the New Testament says you can't really grasp the meaning, the ultimate meaning of the Old Testament until you see Jesus. But when you put Jesus into the center, then the whole story has a unity and a harmony that you didn't expect. When you put Jesus at the center, it ends up that Israel's failures, formidable though they are, they end up showcasing how much they need a savior who will rescue them. And then when you put Jesus at the center, you see that God's faithfulness and righteousness to Israel showcases what that Savior will be like when he arrives. When you put Jesus at the center of the Old Testament, you find that he's the unexpected but perfect conclusion and main point of the whole story. Uh, Charles Octavius Booth uh, is a was a 19th century African-American theologian. Um, kind of a fun fact, uh, he ended up planting the church that many, many years later, Martin Luther King Jr. pastored. Uh, but he wrote this. He said this, between the writing of the first and last books of the Bible, more than 1,500 years elapsed, and it engaged the pens of shepherds, farmers, doctors, lawyers, priests, prophets, apostles, poor men, rich men, unlearned men, learned men, great men. Sometimes it is precept. Sometimes it is history. Sometimes it is biography. Sometimes it is song. Sometimes it is supplication. And sometimes it is prophecy. From Genesis to the Revelation, everywhere, grace, mercy, and hope shine in the face of the one Jesus Christ. Charles Octavius Booth says Jesus Christ is the center of the whole strange story. And that's Paul's point. Despite all the complexity of the whole Bible, if you put Jesus at the center, you find that he is the main point and he brings coherence and unity and harmony to the entirety of the story. Actually, I said that was Paul's point, but Paul's point here is a bigger one, actually. Paul's telling us that just like Jesus sums up and unites the Old Testament, so also Jesus will sum up and unite all of human history. And that's why we included the second reading from Revelation. This comes from the end of the Bible. And it describes a day when this plan that Paul's describing is complete. And it's a wonderful day. You need to imagine it. Hopefully you were listening to it. Take a look at it. You have to imagine the scene. This is at the end of everything. And the countless people are gathered around Jesus Christ. All the people throughout all history who surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, they're there. And they're representing earth. But also, you've got the angels 
and they're there too, and they're representing heaven. This is a union of both heaven and earth, just like Paul talks about in our verse. And central to the beauty of this giant church is the diversity that's within it. Every tongue and every tribe and every nation. So you've got Russians and Iranians and ancient Romans and Navajo and Inuit and Ugandans and Argentines and Americans, all looking at Jesus. People from every single background, all looking at Jesus, united in a common joy, honoring him. And on that day... We'll all look at each other. If you belong to Jesus, this is your future. We'll all look at each other and we'll be able to say, oh my goodness, strange as all our stories were and strange as the big picture was, all our stories led to this moment. All the failure and the evil and the corruption of our stories, the sin of our lives showed how much we needed a savior, how much we needed to be rescued from ourselves and how we could not save ourselves. We'll say to one another, with joy in our eyes. And we'll say to each other, all our evil showed how much Jesus is right to be the judge of all evil. And yet looking at each other, we'll say, and yet it also shows the magnitude of his mercy because Jesus Christ gave his life to take our judgment upon him. And therefore we will never get over rehearsing to one another how the cross was the unexpected but perfect way to rescue guilty people like us from our sinfulness and our corruption. And the joy of that day will reach a fever pitch when we look at each other and we say, isn't it true? All our stories unite in Jesus Christ. He was the real deep meaning of all our stories. And therefore we will join together each in our own language and from our own background. And we will say blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God and to the lamb forever. That will be how our story ends if you belong to Jesus Christ. Now, Emmanuel, the reason I'm saying all this is because we need to live our present in light of that future that God has unveiled for us in Jesus Christ. That's how we get through this moment and all other ones. And here's part of the reason why it's so urgent for us today. In the book of Ephesians, One way that you see this plan rolling out is when Jesus establishes local churches and networks of churches that are together little appetizers of that last day. Here's what I mean. Um, The churches around Ephesus who received this letter, it wasn't just one church, it was probably several. Most of these congregations, we think, were majority Gentile and minority Jewish. But nevertheless, nevertheless, the fact that they could be one family together, Gentile and Jewish together, was just shocking to the culture around them. The fact that they could be one family was just shocked to everybody. But it was a sign that God was rolling out this plan that culminates in Revelation chapter 7. And not only was there unity between Jews and Gentiles in the local congregations, but there was also fellowship between churches in different parts of the Roman Empire so and different parts of the world. So for instance, majority or Gentile majority churches around Greece were in fellowship with Jewish majority churches around Jerusalem and in Judea. And we know that because um, the Gentile majority churches when they heard that the Jewish majority churches were struggling from famine, 
the Gentile majority churches sent aid through Paul to help the churches around Jerusalem. And on the other hand, at, different, at a different moment, when the Jewish majority churches heard that the Gentile churches need clarity about theology and clarity about the gospel, they sent missionaries, including Paul and others, to go to these churches and to fortify them in the faith. There was fellowship and mutual service between churches that were very different from each other in their background. And that fellowship with each other was a sign that this plan of God to unite all things and all nations in Christ was being rolled out. Now, the fellowship between these churches, both within congregations and between congregations was never perfect. They still got into fights. They were all sinners. But nevertheless, their love for each other in Christ was a sign that God's plan was being rolled out. And Emmanuel, it rolls out still to this day. Now, I know many of us are struggling with the church right now. The church, many of us know, is a mess. And you're right, it is a mess. And there's reason to be outraged. But don't forget that that doesn't undermine God's plan in the final analysis. Israel in the Old Testament was a mess, but God's plan did not falter then, and it's not going to falter now. Remember, way back in the beginning, God promised Abraham to bless all nations through Israel, and he's doing that in part right now. You know, in the last 200 years, the church of Jesus Christ around the world has become more global and more multi-ethnic than it ever has been in its history previous. And that touches us today, because even Emmanuel... You know, we would not be here right now if it wasn't for the global church. Back at our founding, there was oversight from Nigeria. There was support from Australia. There was a bishop from New Zealand. There were local New Yorkers who all gathered together and supported each other. And that's why Emmanuel exists. We are a product of the global church and a sign that God's plan is being rolled out. And I know if I speak personally, I don't know where I would be without the global church, but I almost certainly wouldn't be here. I'll never forget many years ago, um, hearing the Archbishop of Uganda, Uganda, Henry Arombi at the time, preaching. And Amber and I listened to his preaching in a little church in Hollywood, and he preached like an Old Testament prophet. And Amber and I fell under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and we looked at each other, and we knew that we were hearing the word of the Lord and we needed to follow the Lord in a particular manner. And that began a process that led several years later to, as we knelt to receive confirmation in a little village in Malawi. And as we were confirmed by the Archbishop of Central Africa, we were being received into a family far bigger than any denomination and into a family far bigger than any nation and any ethnicity. And yet it was also a family that treasured all of those backgrounds. It's the family of Jesus Christ and it was precious to us and it still is. And I want you to know that Jesus is building that family here in New York City. And you can see it in the local congregations like our own, but you can also see it in the way churches team together and support each other and love each other. Sometimes I get to serve uh, along with Clint um, at a church around the corner here in Harlem called New Covenant Temple. And they're a church that's very different from ours. Uh, they're Pentecostal, they're majority African-American. And I love being around them because they are bright and shining lights. And I am delighted and privileged that Jesus lets me be in their family. 
He's building a family here in New York and around the world. And it's a sign that he's rolling out that bigger story. So friends, as we look at the church, yes, it fails all the time, but that does not mean that the Lord will falter. Jesus leads his church faithfully and he's leading us towards that day. And so here's what that means. It means for us today that we have to live this present moment in light of that plan that God has for the future. As we live in this moment, in light of that big plan, that's how we will be a bright and shining light in the midst of all the chaos around us. So as we close, let me point out just three things. It's always three things, you know. First of all, live now in light of that big plan by honoring Jesus and taking up your cross and following him. Friends, if the main point of history is honoring Jesus, then we need to get busy now for, in such a way that honoring him becomes our highest priority as individuals and as a congregation. But that will mean, friends, that we have to be ready to suffer. Uh, Jesus' path to glory was not a straight line. His path to glory ran through the cross, and he promised that ours will too. And one of the signs that we're living now in light of God's future plan is that we are willing to suffer faithfully in the moment for the glory of Christ in the long term. Hebrews chapter 13 says this, let us go to Christ outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So friends, don't be surprised by difficulty. Don't be surprised if following Jesus includes pain. And even if it brings shame upon us, Remember that Jesus always meets us when we take up our cross and follow him. His grace will be sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in weakness. So follow him. Follow him in a path of weakness because that's where you will find the power. And your weakness and your difficulty of this moment will contribute to the glory of that final day. And for those of us who are not yet following Jesus yet, friends, the time's come. It's time to surrender your life fully to Jesus Christ. He's been calling you by name. And some of you know that. Take a moment, take, take, take a moment now and say, Jesus, I hear your voice. I wanna surrender my life to you. Take, take away my sin through your death upon the cross. Adopt me into the family of your father and be my Lord forever. And as you do that, that final plan will become your future. So first of all, live in the present in line of the future by taking up your cross and following Jesus. Make that the highest priority. Secondly, prioritize loving Jesus's family. You remember when we were in Micah, uh, hesed love. Do you remember hesed love? Hesed love is love that is fortified by loyalty, certified by promise, unyielding in adversity, and sacrificial in mercy. That's the sort of love we need for each other. And that's the sort of love that we need for other churches, especially around us in New York City. This is one of the reasons that we do, uh, we partner with Hope for New York. As we practically serve with other Christians around our city, it gives us the opportunity to make our affection and our unity in Christ visible. So prioritize 
loving Jesus's people within the congregation and between churches here in New York City. It's the warm-hearted affection between Christians that's a badge of authenticity. It's a badge that Jesus is transforming us. Cultivate it. And then last thing, if we're living now in light of the future plan that God has, we get to prioritize loving our cultural opponents. I say that because Jesus loved the people who crucified him. And he loved us when we hated him. And if he is the main point of history, then it makes sense for us in our moment to love those whom we might otherwise have good reason to hate. And that's going to be tough. And you can only do it if you are worshiping and prioritizing, honoring Jesus Christ. But when we do, it will be a sign, maybe like no other, that we are living according to a different plan, a bigger plan, a beautiful plan. And as we do that, the Lord will make us a bright and shining light that points to that day when the plan will be complete and all things are summed up in Christ. So that's where we need to go. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.